Welcome to Hard Truths by Vertex. This is where we peel the layers and uncover raw, unobvious industry insights and venture capital knowledge across Southeast Asia and India. We interview some of the world's top leaders in tech, innovation and capital formation to hear the stories of enlightening discoveries as well as aha moments to help early stage entrepreneurs navigate their building journey. If you like what you hear, please click follow or subscribe. Hi, I'm Elise Tan and I'm your host for this episode of Heart Truth by Vertex Podcast. Today, I have my colleague and Executive Director of Vertex Ventures Southeast Asia and India, Chan Yip Pang with us. Hi, Chan Yip. Hey, hi Elise. Thanks for having me. So today we are talking about the Malaysian startup ecosystem. Uh, it's really interesting because, um, as you know, Malaysia is one of the uh, one of the country with highest uh, GDP in Southeast Asia. So Malaysia has been growing uh, in terms of the ecosystem in the past uh, decades. And today, Chan Yip is going to share more about the evolution as well as the different aspects of the ecosystem. So Chan Yip, do you want to let us know a bit more about yourself? Yeah, sure. Uh, thanks, Elise. So I actually grew up uh, in Malaysia, specifically Malacca, uh, you know, the historical small town that a lot of tourists go to. So um, and uh, since uh, very young, I was actually exposed to technology. Uh, so my, my dad was an electrician. Uh, while he didn't have a lot of education um, because he studied only until primary six, but he understood the implication of computers, right? So uh, since young, I was exposed to tech. And then uh, I remember we had our first computer, which was the 486. Uh, so it was one of the coolest uh, gadget back then. Um, and then subsequently, I came to Singapore to study. Uh, so I went to uh, National University of Singapore, uh, and it was a transformative uh, experience for me because uh, back then I was actually selected for this program called NUS Overseas College or in short called NOC. Uh, and that actually placed me to work in startups in Shanghai. Uh, and that was when I got exposed to uh, startup ecosystem uh, plus also the VC ecosystem. So since then that has actually guided my career decision moving forward. Wow, a computer in that time, uh, you know, I think we are born around the same uh, kind of era. So a computer is really rare during our time, believe it or not. So you must have been, you know, it must be a great experience being exposed to it. My first experience with computer is actually just to play a computer game on, <laughs> or solitaire or something like that. So I'm nowhere, you know, I guess as technical, te technically introduced as you. So what did you do? Uh, how did you end up in Singapore? Yeah, so uh, you're right. I think computer was quite rare at the time. So it actually caused a bomb, right? Uh, and uh, my brother sister actually went up and went on to become a computer scientist, wow. uh, except for me. <laughs> uh, but anyway, so I um, after uh, joining NUS uh, and then after that, and when I graduated, I actually went on to join uh, Singapore's Economic Development Board. Uh, which is the main government agency responsible for attracting foreign direct investments into Singapore. So I decided to take on that role because uh, it provided me with opportunity to uh, work in the tech, uh, work with tech companies, plus also um, you know be in the investment scene, right? Because uh, EDB is about attracting investments into Singapore. Um, but when it comes to 2013 and 2014, then I started uh, realizing that the startup scene uh, in Singapore, uh, as well as across Southeast Asia, is actually um, you know growing pretty quickly. So back then, there were companies like uh, um, Shopee or Grab or Tokopedia. They were all started around the same period. So therefore, in 2013, uh, I decided to 
uh, join EDBI, uh, which is the investment arm of uh, EDB. So that's how I kickstarted my career in, in investments. Wow, I mean, it's quite an experience, you know, going through the NOC program, being exposed to the startups in the early days, yeah. especially, you know, in the hearts of um, the financial district in China, Shanghai. Um, and then after that, you join EDB, which I think really exposed you to various uh, industries. And then in investment, which then um, helped you to really, you know, get, get started in this space. So I'm just curious, you know, how did you get to know Vertex? Uh, being an aspiring VC, everyone will have definitely heard of Vertex because uh, Vertex is probably one of the biggest uh, VC brand name, uh, especially back around 2010, right, whereby there weren't that many VCs around. So Vertex was uh, the top tier VC uh, and that reputation was actually cemented by the fact that they invested into Grab, uh, which was uh, one of the biggest uh, tech companies around this region. So, um, and I was lucky enough because uh, I actually worked with uh, a couple of current Vertex uh, colleagues that actually used to work in EDBI. And uh, when this opportunity came up, so someone within Vertex actually thought, why not, um, you know, I give it a try. So he actually helped to submit my resume and subsequently I was interviewed uh, and managed to secure the job. So um, I was pretty lucky in that sense. Yeah, great to have you as part of our team. Um, so you have, before joining Vertex, you were with Experian. So I think that really gives you an exposure to how CVC works, which can be quite different uh, compared to VC. And one of the questions I'm often asked by entrepreneurs is, what are the differences right, between a corporate VC and a financial VC? Maybe you can share a bit with us. Yeah, so um, just a bit of background. So I was from Experian. I was actually leading the venture team for Asia Pacific. Uh, and I was also double-heading as uh, the M&A uh, personnel right, within the company. So I think for any corporate VC, uh, the key difference compared to uh, you know, a financial VC is that corporate VC will always look into an investment from a strategic point of view. So that means uh, if uh, uh, Experian were to in invest in a company, uh, would that startup that we are investing in can potentially bring value to back to the corporate, right? So that will always be the lens that they are looking at. So um, so as a result, in terms of uh, the type of companies that we could look at, uh, maybe it's a bit more narrow. Uh, but that said, there's also certain opportunities that we can go after, right? So if we can uh, do a deal whereby one plus one equals to three, so that's where I think um, those will be, deal, will be the deals that actually make sense for us to actually invest. Um, so I think that will be the key difference between a corporate and a financial VC like Vertex. Yeah, and in terms of stage, would you recommend you know, someone who is in the early stage, for example, fundraising CVC A to be uh, reaching out to a CVC mm. or would CVC be a better option for late, later stages? Yeah, CVC is probably a better option for later stages uh, because when you are very early on, you don't want to be distracted um, by corporates. So because uh, sometimes when corporates, they invest in you, uh, there is a certain direction they want to drive you to. So uh, I would say if you want to explore CVC, uh, maybe like Series C or Series D will make a bit more sense because uh, that is the point whereby uh, your company would be quite established. Uh, your products are already there, so you don't need to do a lot of customization in order to fit what the CVC requires. Uh, and then it is the point that you scale, right? So what you want to do is actually to leverage uh, the corporate's uh, distribution network. And then with your differentiated product, uh, you combine this to 
these two together, it can potentially become a quite a strong force in the market. So I would say um, those two would be the considerations. Uh, um, and I'm just uh, going back, you know, kind of uh, relating it to the Malaysian ecosystem. Uh, do you, how do you think would be the split between the CVC and the VC? So um, interestingly, actually Malaysia, there's more uh, CVC coming uh, on board. So right, for example, there is Maxis, there is Sunway. Um, but I would say by and large, the market is still driven by private VC. Uh, and this private VC, a number of them are actually funded by the government. So uh, in which I think is actually healthier. So uh, given that the Malaysian ecosystem is still trying to build up uh, from uh, a troll, right, that they were going through. Um, from 2018 to 2022. So right now, uh, I think things are picking up again. So um, so with that, I would think that, you know, uh, the future is bright. <laughs> Moving forward. Um, you, so, you know, going back to Malaysia, uh, you, you have grown up there and I think with the investment exposure, you have seen how the ecosystem grow. So could you maybe walk us through what has happened over the years? What were exciting moments? Yeah, I would uh, say that I can probably divide uh, the Malaysia uh, tech development into three different phases, right? So first is uh, 2012 to 2017, uh, and then 2018 to 2023, and then right now 2023 onwards. So for the very first phase, uh, 2012 to 2017, uh, it was actually a very exciting era. I would say it's uh, probably the golden era for Malaysian tech, uh, because that was when uh, companies like Grab or Qasem, uh, being set up. Uh, they started in Malaysia first. Uh, and um, then you also have companies like Aerodyne that have done really well as well. Uh, and during that uh, period, it was the Najib administration. So he was a very supportive prime minister of the tech ecosystem. Uh, in fact, he actually started this agency called Magic. Uh, and Magic for a while was actually the premier uh, you know, investment hub right, for Malaysia. Because they managed to build a strong community. Uh, uh, but in 2018 to 2022, uh, I would say uh, Malaysia actually went through a period of transition. Uh, that was because uh, firstly, uh, there were a couple of government changes. And plus the fact that uh, COVID happened during that period. So this period, we didn't really see that many quality companies actually coming out of Malaysia. Um, but in 2023, I think we are starting to see some uh, things picking up. So especially with this new government um, taking taking uh, charge. Uh, and uh, I, think, I think that helps with uh, building the ecosystem because uh, right now, for example, uh, the Ministry of Economy uh, used to run the startup himself. So he's uh, actually know what it takes to actually uh, run a company and to grow a company. So we are seeing more efforts by the government Wow, yeah, it's definitely exciting times to come. Um, and if we zoom out a bit, you know, this whole series that we are doing, we call it Unlocking the Trillion Opportunity in South Asia Market. And we, when we talk about South Asia Market, obviously we need to um, talk about Singapore, Malaysia, Indonesia, because some of them are big, big markets in uh, South Asia. And, and then the other thing that not to also overlook is the growing GDP per capita. So in, uh, in terms of um, like GDP per capita and um, population, Malaysia has 32 million people, which is actually um, like five times Singapore, <laughs> Singapore size. And uh, GDP per capita is one of the highest as well. So uh, in context, 
Malaysia is uh, one of the important markets that we look at when we do startup investments. So maybe we can also uh, just go to our, talk about our portfolio, what are the startups that we have invested in Malaysia. Yeah, sounds good. So, so far, we actually have uh, three Malaysian portfolio. So the most notable one would be definitely Grab, uh, whereby we were the first institutional investor into Grab. Uh, and when we invested, it was still a KL-based company. Uh, subsequently, we have invested into StoreHub, uh, as, well as, as well as RPG Commerce. Uh, but then more importantly, we have also invested in two uh, Malaysian founder companies. So Sunday, uh, as well as Pestnet. So Pestnet is also doing very well. So right now, uh, already achieved a unicorn status. So I think uh, overall, from what we have seen from the Malaysian founders, uh, they are definitely a very resilient bunch, uh, plus also very resourceful, right? So I think those two traits are really uh, something that differentiates uh, Malaysian founders uh, compared to you know some of the peers in the region. Definitely, I think um, you know being a Singaporean, we are very aware that Malaysians are really hardworking, um, and we can see how they they have contributed to really the Southeast Asia growth. In our podcast, we always talk about how do we play to the strengths of the uh, market and what kind of uh, notable, notable trends as well as um, kind of signs of uh, successful startups. And we'd love to hear that from you as well. Uh, so in terms of, um, you know, what do you think would be playing to the strengths of Malaysia? You know, what kind of sectors should uh, entrepreneurs be looking at what are we interested in as an investor so, so I think uh, as mentioned earlier so Malaysian founders uh, they are definitely pretty resourceful uh, and then um, when it comes to adversity right they definitely know how to navigate around it um, so I think that uh, in itself is actually very strong and plus the fact that uh, Malaysians also is an English speaking country so they tend to have a bit more international exposure as well that give them a bit more advantage, right? In terms of understanding what's happening around the world and how um, they can learn, be it from the Western world or even the Chinese, because uh, as you know, Malaysia have a pretty large Chinese population as well. So, uh, but at the same time, there is an advantage of cost, uh, whereby uh, they have the advantage of Singapore, uh, but at the same time, it's not as expensive, right? If you look at the cost of living there, uh, the people there are as hungry as the Singaporeans, uh, but yet the cost is not as expensive. They work hard. So I think that in itself uh, plays to the advantage of Malaysia. Uh, in terms of uh, trends that we are seeing, I think Malaysia is still pretty much a consumption economy. So if you look at uh, the GDP contribution by private consumption, it actually goes up to 60%. And uh, some of the companies that uh, seem to be quite successful in Malaysia, tend to be consumer companies, right? So starting with Grab, for example, uh, and then, of course, we also have uh, RPG Commerce, which is uh, selling uh, a lot of uh, water bottles or cookwares in Malaysia. Uh, and uh, some of the companies that have gone on to uh, IPO, um, and uh, they are also consumer companies, right? So the names I can think of would be like Mr. DIY, or uh, T-Life that's actually doing extremely well as well, even though it's not uh, listed yet. Then we also have FarmFresh, which got listed recently. So all these companies are actually very highly valued in Malaysia. Great. I mean, definitely Malaysia is one of my favorite uh, holiday destination. And you mentioned about Mr. DIY is my favorite store as well when I go shopping with my family. Um, yeah, I think these are all exciting businesses uh, coming from Malaysia. 
Um, I so I just want to take a step back as well. You know, um, you may already know we re- we just uh, launched our fifth fund of five hundred and forty one million. So we we again are going to invest into the early stage companies. So this means it could be uh, as early as seed um, in some cases, but uh, pre A, Series A, and Series B. Our check size typically two to eight million. Um, in across Southeast Asia, you know, not just Malaysia, we do. Uh, we are in the sectors of um, consumer, enterprise, fintech, healthcare, uh, sustainability, mobility. But in general, we are agnostic. Yeah. So I think what um, we have invested so far are primarily in the consumer and enterprise space. But we are definitely open to other areas as well. Um, and I also want to just ask you this quick question. Uh, how so? I think definitely in terms of uh, economic activity, Kuala Lumpur will have uh, quite a bit of startup activity. Well, which part of which other part of Malaysia is also very active? Yeah. So interestingly, I think uh, the again the Malaysian government is actually doing a pretty good job. So um, of course Kuala Lumpur is the main city, right? There's uh, a lot of startups are headquartered in. Uh, but increasingly, we are also seeing some activities in Penang. Uh, and recently, the Malaysian government, my startup entity, has gone on to like uh, Sabah as well as Sarawak to actually extend the outreach. So um, hopefully, we'll be able to see like differentiated startups from those regions uh, moving forward. Great. So Chai, thanks for sharing you know, quite a bit about yourself as well as uh, the evolution of the Malaysian market and what is to come. What do you think is Vertex investment thesis for Malaysia? You know, what do you think will work well? Yeah, so um, we generally invest in six different verticals, right? So number one is consumer, uh, second one fintech, third is enterprise software, fourth healthcare, uh, fifth sustainability, and number six is mobility. So in terms of thematic focus, we're probably not going to deviate away from that. Uh, but our uh, investment thesis is always the same, right? Whereby we want to back uh, founders that's working on a very ambitious problem. Uh, we want to be solving problems that are difficult to solve uh, and the market should be big enough right, for such a problem to exist as well. So with all this, I think um, that will be the key um, criteria when we look for investments. So um, so we always back uh, ambitious founders and uh, yeah, we want them to succeed. Still, through your observations of the ecosystem, what are some of the hard truths and uh, advice they would give entrepreneurs who are working in um, the Malaysia ecosystem? Yeah, so I think the Malaysia ecosystem, um, interestingly, there's actually quite a bit of money um, because if you look at the VC funding um, by the government, right, actually up to 45% of the VC funds are actually supported by the government. So um, so in terms of availability of capital, it's definitely there. Um, but what probably can be done uh, a bit better or can be improved is actually in terms of the top of the funnel, uh, whereby right now, if you look at what the Malaysian government is doing, uh, they're trying to attract uh, the likes of Antler uh, and Park and Play uh, because they realize that actually top of the funnel is where the issue is. So um, so it's actually a great time for entrepreneurs that want to start up company right now because you get more support uh, at the early stage level uh, with um, someone like Antler that have uh, experience of building companies uh, across the region. I think that would be a good start. And uh, as 
you build a company. So don't just think about Malaysia as a, as a market, right? So think about Southeast Asia. Uh, I think that one is quite important. Malaysia actually have to um, you know, build champions for Southeast Asia. Uh, and we have uh, pretty good examples, right? Like for example, Grab right now is a regional company. Uh, and then uh, increasingly for Kasim also is a regional company. So definitely uh, you have uh, good examples to follow. Um, so I will urge uh, the Malaysian founders to think big uh, and e eventually leverage right, some of the um, resources that the Malaysian government has put in place. I think that will really help uh, the Malaysian companies to scale uh, accordingly. Great. And i just curious, you know, do you think that being in Malaysia also give um, the entrepreneurs an advantage expanding to neighboring countries like Indonesia mm. because of the language, because of uh, perhaps, you know, certain similarities? Yeah, definitely. So, um, so Malaysia, Malaysians, right, other than speaking Bahasa, they also speak Chinese uh, and speak English. So um, with this combination of uh, three languages, which is widely spoken uh, across the world, I think that that, that definitely gives a Malaysian advantage, right? Um, because uh, it gives them the exposure, uh, plus the ability to understand what's happening outside and then translate that to uh, certain advantages to Southeast Asia. Uh, and plus uh, the quality of life is also pretty good in Malaysia. So, um, so I would urge uh, the entrepreneurs to actually take advantage of uh, these two facts and then build a company that is, uh, um, in terms of unique economics, uh, very attractive, uh, and then work on big problems uh, that can actually uh, scale across the region, right? So with that, um, I think definitely Malaysia's, Malaysia entrepreneurs uh, have an advantage in terms of building a scalable company across the region. Yeah, so, so you know, we talked about the funnel earlier and how Malaysia is kind of uh, increasing, you know, the, the earlier part of the funnel. And I maybe also want to ask you about the, the end of the funnel, which is what are the usual exit opportunities for Malaysia? Yeah, so um, in the past uh, couple of years, there has been a number of um, big uh, companies that have gone on uh, to become listed companies, right? So uh, take, for instance, uh, Mr. DIY, or CTOS. So Malaysia, uh, as a you know exchange or public listed uh, exchange, actually have um, pretty good valuation as well. So, um, but the downside of that is that you have to be a profitable company before you can list in Malaysia. So, uh, if you are a tech company that's scaling pretty quickly, uh, perhaps can explore other regions, right? So, for instance, uh, Australia could be one market, uh, and uh, we have also seen uh, companies coming into Singapore to list. Uh, and those that are bigger ones have actually gone on to NASDAQ to actually list. So the options are definitely there. So um, it depends on uh, the, the, what the scale of the company is and at what stage, whether you're profitable or you're still uh, you know, burning money in order to gain more market share. So I would say that uh, as a whole, it, that options are definitely there. It's just uh, you know, up to be explored. Yeah, and I think earlier you mentioned about um, how important it is to also scale into the region. Mm -hmm. And as they scale in the region, really, um, that as the opportunities is all around, right? It's not just um, one to more market. Yeah, and I just want to um, you know ask you what what you learn along the way, you know, in terms of observing the ecosystem growth. Um, it could be in Malaysia context, or it could be because of your, you know, kind of long uh, investing experience. Yeah, what can you share with the audience? 
Yeah, so I think um, right now um, we are definitely in a down cycle. Um, but be it up or down, right? I would think that uh, in general, this is a cyclical uh, thing that we have to go through. So have happened every once, uh, yeah, every 10 years or 15 years, there'll be one event that's happening. So I think um, for an entrepreneur, um, at the end of the day, what is most important is to really solve a big problem uh, for their customers, right? And then once you actually do that, regardless whether it's down cycle or up cycle, uh, which is something that you cannot control, um, you will still be able to build a great business. So just focus on what is within your control, uh, build a big business out of it, and then let the rest uh, take care of itself. Yeah, very true. Mm, what are your thoughts about you know the current uh, maybe when it comes to valuation um, and expectations? Yeah. What, what should how should entrepreneurs be thinking about it? Yeah, so so I think uh, interestingly for the past uh, couple of years, right, because of uh, the COVID and then a lot of money printing, um, as a result, valuation went up very high uh, in twenty twenty one. Um, so that kind of like um, uh, helped the entrepreneurs to have certain mindsets already <laughs> currently. So I think uh, when the market comes down, um, the entrepreneurs will have to adjust accordingly. Uh, and uh, more importantly, entrepreneurs have to think about what it actually takes to actually build the business. So if you need to raise money, uh, go out and raise money. Uh, because uh, if you are able to raise money in this environment, it's actually an advantage. Because you as a company, if you are able to raise uh, $10 million, uh, and if your competitor of your neighbor are not able to raise uh, $10 million, that could be an advantage, right? So I would urge uh, any entrepreneurs to think about uh, what it takes to succeed uh, and if um, you need to raise money in this environment, even though it's a, a low va lower valuation, still go ahead and do it because uh, at the end of the day, it's all relative. If you are doing better than your competitors, then uh, that's what is most important because you are gaining market share. Yeah, and I think gaining market share at the, ex at the expense of your competitor and when your competitor has um, less cash, cash flow, perhaps you know, that, that is a great strategy. I just want to share that Southeast Asia and India as a fund, we are present in quite a few cities in uh, Southeast Asia and India. However, for Malaysia, we are covering it from our Singapore office. So maybe you can share with us, you know, um, if someone in Malaysia is building something interesting, how should they reach out to you? Yeah, so um, actually I visit Malaysia pretty often, so almost uh, once a month. So if you want to reach out to me, always can ping me on LinkedIn. Uh, or you can actually reach out to friends in Malaysia, right? So like, for example, Endeavor or, or Cradle, uh, all of them would know me. So uh, feel free to reach out to them or just ping me directly at LinkedIn. Thank you so much, Chan Yi. It was such a pleasure speaking to you and learning about the Malaysia ecosystem from yeah. you. Thanks, Elise, for having me. Yeah, have Thank fun. Thank you. We hope you've enjoyed the conversation as much as we did. Before we close, do remember to check out the podcast notes via the link in the episode description. We have for you the entire episode transcript, bite-sized summaries, and a wealth of other resources and content that we're sure you'll love. Also, if you enjoyed today's podcast, please do spread the word and give us a thumbs up. It would help others find the show and mean a lot to us. Thank you for joining us. This is Hot Truths by Vertex. See you next time.